You're listening to the Peace Corner. For more stories on peace and conflict, click subscribe. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud and more. Like much of Latin America, Mexico is a nation that has endured years of conflict, most of which has come as a result of the seemingly never-ending war on drugs. In 2006, Mexico's president declared war on his nation's drug cartels, a war that has claimed more than 35,000 lives. Ineffective police and corrupt institutions have remained a constant. That means for criminal groups in Mexico, there's still money to be made and too little to stop them. Unsurprisingly, the media focus much of their time and energy on those either side of the conflict. The authorities, the police, and of course the cartels. But what about those caught in the middle? Those working from inside the conflict, hoping to use dialogue and mediation to bring an end to a war which has taken the lives of thousands and displaced even more. To find out what it's like at the center of this long-standing struggle, I spoke to the fascinating Miguel Alvarez Candara. Hi all, welcome to the Peace Corner podcast. In today's episode, I will be talking to Miguel Alvarez Candara. Did I say that correctly? Well, more or less. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, he is the international vice chair of the GPAC board and the president of Serapaz, an independent nonprofit organization that works for peace and social change. Miguel is an expert on social conflict and political analysis in Mexico and now has over 40 years of experience in the field. He has served as a mediator and a consultant for diverse peace building processes, among which the Zapatista conflict in 1994. So thank you so much for joining us today uh, in the podcast. Um, firstly, I know that you started in the you started in the conflict and peace building fields because of your involvement with the repressed student movement in Mexico. So I was wondering what triggered you to become involved in the student movement and how you ended up becoming a peace builder. Oh well, thank you and <laughs> thanks for the chance of being with you in the in the podcast. In '68, the world faced a burning of a new stage. In many countries, the most famous was Paris, but in Czechoslovakia, but in Latin America also happened this, this arising of novelties, hopes, crises. In Mexican case was the repression of the student movement in the weeks before the celebration of the Olympic Games in Mexico. So the government was so worried on uh, facing the Olympic Games without any conflict that they thought it was easier to repress movement. And it did it very strongly, surprisingly strongly. And it did open a new political and social stage that for us as young people shocked us and, and opened our eyes. And uh, then there was a 15 years stage where the rising was creating in that moment the idea of doing politics passes through political party. So a new political parties, most of them leftist, uh, began growing, but also part of Latin American story, uh, armed movements. In Mexico, still we have 42 armed groups uh, with political aims. So uh, I was part of this 
rising of political looking for paths and ways. And suddenly in the 80s, because the wars in Guatemala, in Salvador, and Nicaragua, we also learned that the armed way was not the correct way for the kind of transformation. So my beginning of being part of the Actors of Peace was in the 80s, exactly, in Central America, when we transformed our solidarity to the armed conflicts into solidarity to the peace processes. And with that personal change as part of a generation, we then began building up not the political parties, but civil society and social movements organization. And from the 80s in Mexico, you notice an arising of this new civil and citizen, social, popular, grassroots, new forms of actions, of actors, of networks, spaces, etc. And being part of that, then in the 90s, came this arising of the Zapatistas movement, again an armed actor, an armed conflict, but we had enough experience how to offer very soon conditions for peace. In strictly sense, uh, the armed confrontation lasted only 12 days, and we create a social movement to stop the government, they need to offer ceasefire, and then uh, a process came on. And finally, we translate what Mexico had lived around Chiapas into keys for another social conflicts. And in this process of growing conflictivity, Mexico faced another stage when the right-wing government decided to face drugs with a war logic. So, with conflictivity, with new social actors, with increasing violence, and the state, instead of opening political paths for dialogue, offers a strong strategy of war, then Mexico entered in the actual stage of very diverse violence, a stronger polarization, a stronger social movements, but without a path for dialogue and for peace. No war, no peace. But for, for my generation, peace converted into our historical and much and vital sense of life. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's very uh, impressive. And uh, as you mentioned, the dynamics of uh, in the country uh, changed quite a lot. And over all these years, I can imagine that it has been quite uh, challenging to adapt each time and to keep yourself motivated to continue to bring about change in the field and to strive for peace. So I was under wondering, where do you get the motivation from to keep going and to work for such a long time in this field? I think there are many paths to, to be converted into this vision and mission. But I may think that you should always have a combination of being active in your national challenge, but also active in the international solidarity. Being part of JPAC maybe is a harvest of this logic of 
been able to to combine both logics, global and local, articulation in regional and global levels with uh, higher proposals, but at the same time bring that ideas and sharing and strength to your local efforts. So that's one, one key. Another is when you decide that you are not the principal actor, that you are a server for other actors to empower themselves. So in my case, this idea of supporting social actors, social movements, to face their own conflicts, to conduct the process. And I come with them as a strategical uh, compañero, acompañante, not the leader, not conducting, just letting them think and talk and decide with their voice. So in my case, this uh, mystic of not shine, but let others shine uh, has been very useful also for my methodology Mm -hmm. and for my mediation job, Mm -hmm. because mediator is exactly someone in the field, but doesn't shine. It Mm -hmm. helps the energy to to move, to pass from between the parties, but so they shine and the process may shine at advance. So this job needs you in your vitality. You need to be uh, involved in the methodology, involved in the what the process needs. And it is only possible when you have this serenity of uh, letting the parties be themselves and and you make uh, possible the process without looking for yourself. And third, um, when you are convinced that the peace means a deeper change, that if we don't create conditions for a structural transformation of the root causes of the conflict, there is no way Uh, to avoid violence or to really build up a new way and with justice and human rights. So when you understand that peace is a political way of transforming society, involving all the actors needed and related to the causes. So it's a very plenty and and enthusiastic and long uh, process that for me converted into a very spiritual and strategical and full of energy uh, sense of life and work. Yeah, that's a very inspiring approach, yeah. That it's also spiritual and, and yeah, very positive, actually, in, despite that it's quite challenging. Now, as you mentioned before, uh, for this conversation, we'll be uh, focusing also on the, on the war on drugs and the law enforcement narrative. So over time, the fight against drugs has transformed into quite a big security threat for many uh, Latin American citizens. However, there has been some recent international policy policy changes that divert from law enforcement and want to focus more on healthcare and human rights. So firstly, I wanted to ask uh, if the issue of drugs 
that it has become quite uh, highly politicized and controversial over time. And I was wondering, um, in your experience, is there still a lot of stigma around this issue when you engage with public officials or with civil society? Is it hard to talk about these issues related to drugs? I'm glad you are interested in this issue because for us it's very mm, normally, it's part of our reality. Let me try to put some elements. First, at least in Latin America, I'm sure I can speak from there. If you say coca or peyote or marijuana or another vegetals and plants, they are part of our traditional cultures. They are part of the popular medicine. So in Mexico, we have a and not an afraid approach to the use of that kind of elements as part of culture. Second, now we understand the organized crime not as contrary of the model, but as part of the model. So we have understand that, understand that with the actual economical model and the actual system, uh, organized crime comes as a global business that connect with this local tradition, local productions. But the phenomenon is that the business uh, impose its criteria uh, under local logic. Therefore, it massificates it creates groups of interest. And uh, third, these international networks increase the strength of local groups that have learned two secrets, that they are stronger while they, are, while they penetrate better the state structures, police, army, state in all the levels, etc. But Another secret is that they strength better if they create social base. If they penetrate the social fabrics, the communitarian uh, needs, and so this war uh, on drugs uh, has a phenomenon that, that the 300,000 killed people is people of communities. This social base that suddenly because they need, because their weakness, because their poverty, because they don't have any other solution in their hands, they are involved in the phenomenon of production or, or transporting or whatever. And they are the one, the war translated into a social confrontation, not into a drug confrontation. And in Mexico, the big mistake is that the strategy to face uh, this increase uh, of the drug dealers, etc., instead of destroying them, uh, make them uh, multiply and they get stronger and chose to support stronger groups and stronger militants, they need to go to another and the uh, crimes. So now we have the 24 crimes of organized crime, not only uh, drug trafficking, but all kind of traffickings 
so the things is worst after this uh, very wrong strategy of facing drugs without understanding the corruption within the state and without understanding this social phenomenon of the groups uh, touching communitarian needs and uh, and uh, weakness and also their strengths. They are doing now new kind of business, mining. So things are too much worse. Yeah, it's very complicated because it works both ways and it's corruption on in public levels and also on a social level. From my personal experience in Brazil, I noticed that the that uh, society also gets quite divided. So there's people saying we are we don't have anything to do with drug trafficking or with these crimes, but still we live in in areas that um, where it happens, where it occurs, uh, and other people may see it as. Um, that everyone who lives in a certain area is is part of the criminal system of drugs and in that manner despite that in so, for some cases it's maybe part of the culture or it's just it happens in the area it becomes very stigmatized and very um it creates a lot of clashes i could say so i was wondering if that also happens in mexico that it really divides people and people are pointing to each other like you are the criminal or 12 while sometimes they are actually the victims you could say maybe yes 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 and let me add to what you are saying that the the, the more the crime advance the more it diversifies so and it's different the logic of marijuana to the logic of cocaine, of the heroin. They are, they have different levels uh, for production, for distribution, networks. So the secret of diversified avoids all the, the strategies of military control. And, uh, but the main challenge for us as peace builders, understanding the problem of violence, this this uh, problem, social problem, this corruption, state corruption problem is that there is not condition to create dialogue with these kind of groups. Because if you recognize them as social or political actors and you need them in for the talk, converting themselves in an actors with project, with rights, etc., there, there will mean to open that path in the logic of the old armed conflicts to reach political conditions for change. So at least in Mexico and America Latina, there is a break for understanding that with this kind of groups, we can offer the peace solution. So not war solution, not peace solution. What is the way to resolve it? And uh, if you see Colombia and if you see Ecuador and Bolivia, they have always tried to face solutions for the concrete problems. But we have not reached an strategical historical solutions. We are facing effects, but not the causes. And 
here comes the new problem related to what you said, that the approach that appears is security. And security is not enough to face the problem. And the peace is many times reduced to security with, by the way, with all the discussion of what kind of security, human, citizen, internal, public, national, etc. So for us, the challenge is how to develop a new concept of peace that includes security and that includes bringing the social actors involved as the actors that may be strength as part of the political and social process of dialogue. Not the criminals, not the armies in the logic of war. How to bring actors in the logic of dialogue without legitimizing the structural desviation. So it's a, cha a complex challenge because there is ethical limits, uh, moral limits, political, the polarization of society, the lack of law for face these situations, how to face drugs if you recognize the medicine character of marijuana, etc. So the elements are very complex, but for me the pity is that uh, we have not a joint vision. Some groups has an opinion for con these concrete elements, but we don't have a joint strategical proposals. So this is a challenge, and I hope the who are listening to this may suffer with us. We need share ideas, proposal, experience. There are a lot of experiences that will help. The same that what we are living in Mexico will serve and other countries, but maybe pod podcast now should be a, a bridge podcast always. Yeah, yeah, it would be a way to finally unite everyone yeah, and yeah, to yeah, be so able to mediate for... To light, to yeah. light the processes. Yeah, yeah, and also more. Um, we talked as well that the war on drugs it happens on multiple levels. It's all intertwined. It's um, so. From your own experience, I was wondering um, what you have seen uh, that the impacts of international uh, global policies, uh, such as law enforcement, what the effects are on the local level. Do you see that there's an influence, and now that it is changing, do you see changes? On a local level as well. Mm. <laughs> For Latin America, it's a it's a difficult question because at the beginning of this century, 17 countries began in the construction of progressive alternatives in their governments, and 11 forms of regional articulation was born and. Till now, with almost 15 years, all of these countries now have been facing the closing of that opportunities. A right-wing uh, wave is dominating Latin America. The U.S. is with Trump is again controlling the process and pushing for their interests, etc. 
By the way, Mexico is arriving late to that Latin American phenomenon, and now is alone and isolated without a collective uh, effort to to strengthen themselves. So, in my opinion, Latin America in general is not facing a favorable conditions for transformation. Because the deep transformation would mean changing the economical model, not only in the political, democratic systems, and still in America Latina, after so many years and centuries of domination, colonialism, etc., we are still facing mostly political changes, opening participation. Human rights is our, our news fact. And uh, economical change should be a base for facing a drug problem because it is part of this model linked with with all this neoliberalism stage and this uh, extractive and this salvage uh, way of production. So while we want to uh, find solutions for this growing inequity, inequality and injustice, this drug problem will, will be in the middle. So uh, this is challenging us for deeper solutions, trends, and proposals. It's not a conjunctural challenge. Okay. And then a final question, despite that you described that it's very complicated, it's um, to be transformative, it will derive like structural changes. Are you hopeful for the future that we will see maybe in in the next few years a change in Latin America and that peace builders can can influence um, uh, mediation and peace processes more? Yes, I think that that hope should always lead us because difficulties are not historical. Historically, what uh, explain ourselves? I do believe with uh, something that Bishop Ruiz said, and I, let me because it expressed perfectly what uh, the best answer to your question. Mm-hmm. These dark moments we are living and that we should accept and must understand are for us peace builders a grace time. Because even in the darkness we can see now better the lights, understand them better, understand them and how strengthen them and articulate them better. Because our sense of life is not to be expert in the reasons of darkness, but in the reason of light. Because peace is related to new burnings. And therefore, now as peace builders, we are called to be converted into actors of hope. So there are always ways of advancing. Peace is not a solid, it's more a liquid and gas process that find spaces, holes. But the key, the key are the social actors. 
the, to have good laws is not enough. Who, to have rights is not enough. To have uh, ideas of peace is not enough. If you don't have a strong society uh, with uh, multiply local and social actors uh, demanding and proposing the process. Without this building up peace actors, you can be hopeful for the results. And let me finish with another Chiapas lesson. Uh, if you ask indigenous communities, hey, brothers and sisters, uh, after 94, when you uh, make the revolt, it was a good result for you. You are still in poverty. Mexico has not changed. And they will say you always, yes, it was worthy because now we have stand up. Now we, we evaluate our voice. We evaluate our story and proposals. The others now know us. And now we walk in the streets without stopping if another indigenous coming from. Now we walk in our banquetas in. So dignity is very important, not only the results. And peace is not only advancing in the logic of concrete results, but in this logic of creating actors with dignity, with dreams, hopes, rights, proposals. And for me, peace process is is a part of all of this and you may always find ways to advance. Okay. Thank you so much for your inspiring words. Uh, it was very nice talking to you. Thank you for sharing your experiences and sharing your thoughts. And um, yeah, thank you for joining us. Thanks to you, thanks to you. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Peace Corner. If you're interested in hearing more from us, please click subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you might be listening. And tune in next time when our network team intern Kai will be talking to experienced Filipino peace builder Gus McClett about the role of solidarity and civil society in building peace.